Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, premier free writing magazine on the Internet, featuring articles on writing, writing life, as well as video and audio interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. If you followed my blogs, that's where they come from. My blogs start on uh, Author Magazine. Publish them there about three times a week. You can find them other places as well, but that's where they start. Brand new author magazine, The Upgrade. It's awesome. Check it out, authormagazine.org. We're also funded by the fabulous Pacific Northwest Writers Association. They've been supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. It's a great organization. They do a great conference. We're doing it in September, like I said. September, the first weekend in September this year, 2018. Check it out at pnwa.org. You can learn about the upcoming conference, plus you can learn about their monthly uh, meetings, which can be attended in person if you live in the Northwest, or virtually if you're anywhere in the world. That's right. You don't have to miss a meeting if you're a member of the PNWA. So come on and check it out at pnwa.org. So a uh, little piece of information for you, a little personal piece of information. When this show's over, I'm going to be getting up on my roof and dumping baking soda all over my roof. Why? Because there's moss on it. There was so much moss uh, on my roof that it started leaking onto my desk. Yes, writers, that's what happened. So I got to get up there and put some baking soda on it. Don't worry, I'll be fine. It's not a very high roof. Uh, but I tell you, I don't look forward to this. I had to do it before, and so I kind of dread it. But the fact is, every time I start doing it, once I get up there on the roof and have a bird's eye view of my neighborhood, I like that, and I start dumping my uh, baking soda on the shingles, on my roofing. Uh, every time I do this, I feel very productive, and I quite enjoy it, usually in some odd way. I don't want to do it every day, but I quite like doing it once I'm doing it. So why, you might ask, am I telling you about roofs? Well, it reminds me of the way some people deal with writing. You know, they kind of dread it sometimes before they do it, but once they do it, usually, once they're into it, they're loving it. Once they're into it. Which is why I even the, so they dread it even though they love it. It's kind of strange, but they do. And that's why I wrote Fearless Writing, the book, and why I'll be teaching a Fearless Writing workshop on May 5th here in Seattle, Cinco de Mayo, from 12:30 to 3:30 over in the Wallingford District. Look, you love to write, but sometimes you kind of resist it. Sometimes it's not so good. But there is a way to get into that lovely zone that you so love on purpose. There's a way to do it on purpose, and that's what fearless writing is all about, how to do it on purpose instead of just let it happen sort of accidentally. So if you're interested in uh, writing fearlessly, well, you can buy the book, or if, like I said, if you live in the Seattle area, you can go over to my website, williamcanower.com, and you can sign up for the upcoming workshop. Again, that's May 5th, Cinco de Mayo. I hope to see you there. So, oh, Speaking of fear, perfect transition. I didn't even plan that, but there it is. Today's guest, Corinne Zupko. She, oh, she knows about fear. She's a counselor, a coach, professor, uh, a mindfulness instructor, and most importantly, the author of From Anxiety to Love, a radical new approach for letting go of fear, finding lasting peace. Sounds pretty good to me. Just came out a couple months ago from New World Library. She's here to talk to us about anxiety and love and peace and She's here with us now. Corinne, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so happy to be here, Bill. Thank you for having me. You are welcome. It's good to have you here. 
All right. So, Anxiety to Love. Anxiety to Love. Now, this book, it's a book, but it's the kind of book uh, that was really is part is is really the extension of what's really turned into your life's work. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Absolutely. It was born out yeah. of my own journey with really debilitating anxiety, like up at the high end of the anxiety spectrum. And as yeah. I healed from that, as I got better from that, I had to write what was helping me. I had no choice yeah. <laughs> in the matter. It you had, had no choice. No, well, I had to write. Uh, all right. Before we get to the writing, I want to go back. I want to take okay. you back to the, back to the darkness. Very important. I think. Uh, you said it's the high end of it. Describe that anxiety to us. What was that like for someone who's never been deeply anxious? They say, what are you talking about? I don't understand. What's that like? We can think about, yeah, great question. We can think about anxiety on a spectrum. And at the low end of the spectrum, we all know that. That's the sometimes inability to sit still, the I should have done this, I should have done that, or what if, what if, what if. That sort of underlying, you know, feeling of just feeling unease. If you crank up the volume and amplify that and shift over to the high end of the spectrum, that's where I lived a large part of my life. Those are the more diagnosable anxiety disorders. So in my experience, Uh I had many, many panic attacks. And if anybody listening has never had one, it is really Uh hard to describe what it is like. You feel like you're going to die. You feel like you're having a heart attack actually heart attack, the fears of a heart attack, thinking that you're having a heart attack, drives many people to the emergency room when, in fact, they're having a panic attack. So, yeah, and I had a lot of periods of uncontrollable worry, so I just worry about different things, a lot of health stuff. I was a hypochondriac. I was afraid every physical symptom meant something horrible. And so I was in a constant state of um, kind of being, like, revved up, feeling that heart racing, the yeah. shakiness, the sweating, the stomach that was like wow. so, okay. so you was just not. it was I'm just not. it would just lay you out. It would lay me and out. Now, did sure. you now this is here's an interesting thing. You must have lived in fear of your fear. You you probably lived fearing the anxiety that would come but wasn't hadn't come yet. Does that make well, sense? That's- yeah, that's the hallmark of anxiety disorders is that you start to oh. fear the fear. You start to fear yeah. the panic attacks yeah. and adjust your life yeah. to try to avoid how, you know, it, it, circumstances of where that might happen. So healthy oh. people can have panic attacks, but when you start sure. to get, develop that fear of that fear, that's when it can really get in our way of functioning. Well, it's all thinking. Anyone can do it. If you, you know, I mean, and I don't mean to minimize it. I don't know if you're familiar with, Byron Katie, I do love Byron Katie. She's a mm-hmm. teacher, and and she says the most the da- most dangerous thing in the world is a thought, and I <laughs> find that to be the case. I do find that to be okay. So you were just oh, it had you. You the yeah. monster was following you everywhere. Now, did this start when you were quite young? It did. I had separation anxiety disorder when I was like two, and so I was two? already anxious. Yeah, already anxious. Oh my child. god. Oh, Jesus, okay. I grew out of that, but the anxiety sort of just took a different form. So I grew out of the separation anxiety, but I became full of different phobias and, again, started worrying about health stuff. And I had an ulcer by the age of 12, so this really... Oh, my God, all right. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> wow. Yep. All right. And so now eventually you got you got a hold of, and I think it kind of started for you with, with, uh, and I'm sure you were sent off to therapists and psychologists, and maybe did they did was there medication involved or anything? What like do I'm not sure until many later, actually. Really? Not until later I'm on. Surprised yeah, they weren't um, just doping you up from a from word one. My yeah, my mom wanted the choice about medicine to be my own. <laughs> so oh well, we, you know, listen, um, I so, yeah, I'm, I applaud that. Yeah, yeah. So we, awesome. we waited, and I was in therapy yeah. and got a lot of help, you know, and a lot of support. And, Therapy is a really, really fantastic thing. And then, you know, I needed more. There was a time yeah. that you know, I came to a point where I needed, and I'm not talking medication needed more. I did use medication yep. at one point because I needed some relief, but I needed right. a spiritual remedy. I needed something to yeah. start to exhume what the heck was going on in my head because I was yeah. steering my ship into the ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so... And it, so eventually you got a hold of uh, a book some of our listeners might be familiar with uh, called A Course in Miracles. Am I got the basic plot line correct here? You that, do. That book you found do. its my, way to you? Yeah. Yep. My mom actually introduced me to the course when I, the night I actually described my very first panic attack in the book. And it was that night when I previously had no interest in anything spiritual. And my mom uh, really, really? Was, yeah, she was trying to introduce it to me and I'd be that defiant teenager where I'd shove my fingers in yeah. my ears and say, I don't want to hear it. But once I was desperate, I was open to trying anything. And it was at that point that I said, bring it on. If it's about finding peace, I, I'm all ears. I'm totally open. You know, uh, boy, you went from zero to a hundred. Cause when it, in the, in the spectrum of spiritual books available, I think that's about as far as you can go is the course in miracles is my, uh, <laughs> Experience, but all right, you went right for the right. It's really like going right for quantum physics. You're not going to even yeah. study addition and subtraction. You're just a, give me the quantum physics. I'm just going all uh-huh. the way. So that's you know this is such a great story. I I I love these stories, uh, Corinne, because you know your greatest suffering has been your greatest strength now. Because this is, I mean, I know you don't want to go back through it again, but you are going to be such. I mean, you already are. I'm sure a great teacher in large part because of how how dark it, how how dark your darkness was. Yeah, for sure. And that for that reason I wouldn't change anything. As awful as yeah. those experiences were, they've brought me to where I am now and to a place of peace that's even deeper than I could have previously comprehended. So I honestly wouldn't change a thing. I'm not um oh. regretful and I actually can appreciate my anxiety as a teacher. It's been a really fantastic teacher. Not an easy teacher but a fantastic yep. Oh, it's the best. It's the best. Well, okay, so here we are. So, you, so the, your book is about going from anxiety to love. Uh, and it's interesting. You could, I, I happen to think linguistically, uh, I, I could trade the words love and peace almost interchangeably for me. That's yeah. my, you know, to, when I think about, un, I, I really write about unconditional love. That's really the only thing I really write about, no matter what I tell people I'm writing about. That's really it. But I could say unconditional peace just as easily. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Wholeheartedly. Yes. Yeah. It's about and you kind of, actually, back. your book, your title, you're actually sort of doing that in a way. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And the love that I'm talking about, the peace that I'm talking about is, spiritual it's something you know greater than just the romantic love that we experience here in this world right. it's like big love it's like the love of the universe and it's the love that i yeah. believe we are all made of you know what 
you know what, Corinne, you shouldn't even say believe. You don't even believe it. You just know it, don't you? Right, yeah. <laughs> At this point, Do you really? I mean, I understand. Yeah. It's, a, it's a softener, but, you know, I, I can't even say believe anymore with that. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't believe mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. I just know it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I can't prove it with a ruler, but I, but I know it. Um, yeah. So here's an interesting question for you, Corinne, and I'll see if you can answer it. And don't worry if you can't. But if someone says, when you say spiritual, what do you mean? So I mean a connection with something greater than ourselves, a connection with something beyond my limited sense of self as Corinne, and however we interpret that, whatever that means to us, we're all going to have different ways of understanding that. But to me, it's a connection with um, the universe, the feeling, again, that that greater sense of self, like there's um, a part of my mind that I like to refer to as, I call it in the book, my inner therapist, our inner therapist. Yeah, also I like that. Your higher mind, um, your true yeah. self. And yeah. that is what we are. And so having an opening to something greater than just what we can perceive and touch and feel opens a lot of doors with exploring and coming to know um, the truth, the truth and, and different levels of peace that is forever progressively deepening. Yeah. Yeah. It's beyond, it's, it's beyond the physical. And it's really, it's, when you say connected to the, it's sort of the universe, we, we, you mean also, I assume an intelligent universe, a sort of yes. conscious universe, right? Yes. And a loving just, universe. Yeah. Oh yeah. Most definitely. Yeah. All right. And so, and so this book is, is, and so you've written this book to sort of, as you said, you had to write it. You had to write it. You, you'd come through it, and there was no way you weren't going to share it. Now, you were, I assume before you wrote the book, you were already sharing this in your own teaching, yeah? In your own sort of doing workshops, or how were you doing it? I was blogging, so I was writing blogs on my website ah. about it. I was teaching a Course in Miracles study group, and I still am. It's been going on for over six years every Sunday night, and... Awesome. So I was sharing in all these different ways, and as time went on, I just kept getting this internal feeling that I, I had to write this formally. I had to write what was helping me. So I didn't actually set out to be an author. <laughs> it was just something that uh, I, I literally felt like I had no choice in the matter. I had to do this. All right, wait a minute. But back up. But you were blogging. But you, when you were blogging, you didn't consider that – you you distinguished what you were doing on your blog between uh, there's a distinct difference between that you felt and and being an author is that tr- did you draw, have some kind of line there or not um you know that's a great question i guess the way that i saw it was that although my blog was online um people would have to find my website in order to find my work with Right. The material that I was teaching coming into a book and being, I mean, you, I, I couldn't write a 50,000-word blog post, you know, to really pull it <laughs> well, all you together. Could. <laughs> I guess I could. I don't know, you know, um, if my website could have handled that. But I just felt like it, it needed to be a complete program for every aspect of the Course in Miracles that was helpful to me in working my way out of anxiety and, and knowing. Now, I thought I was going to actually publish my book myself. Um, I was led in a different direction with being um, published by New World, but I yeah. felt like it, it needed to be its own, you know, thing that you can hold and follow and underline yeah. and engage with over just, yeah. you know, a really long blog post. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. And there is a difference. There is a difference um, for sure. But all right, so you did. And so, um, all right, so let me, uh, I want to, I guess the first thing I want to know is, um, so, you know, the Course of Course of Miracles is hard to describe. I'm not going to bother trying to do it now, but it's a way of looking at who we are and what life is and what fear is and what love is and what suffering is. Mm-hmm. But when you, where, what is the, for you, what was the big aha in terms of understanding your anxiety, in terms of you feeling like I, this is something I can actually, I know what to do with my mind and consciousness when it comes over me. What was the first big shift that you, that you had around that? <laughs> That's a great question. The first big shift was recognizing that love and peace were already in me, but yeah. I was blocking it. I was blocking right. it with layers upon layers upon layers of fear. And so yeah. the additional aha that goes along with that is learning that I have a part of my own mind, not the ego fearful part of my mind, which is that, you know, incessant, judgmental, fearful, nagging voice that we all know so well in our heads. But that I also had this other thought system in my mind, call it, again, your inner guidance system, um, inner therapist, as I refer to it, whatever you call it doesn't matter, your intuition. I had this that I could turn to and start developing a relationship with this part of my mind because this part of my mind knows the way out of fear. It knows that love within each and every one of us. And so that, that second aha was, oh, my gosh, this is in me. Yes, I want to yeah. know this. You know, give me, bring it on. I, I want to really, really develop a relationship with this part of myself. So that was my, those are my two big ahas. All right, I'm going to translate your, what you just said for my fiction writer friends who maybe don't read The Course in Miracles. What she, when she talked about her inner therapist, you can call that your muse, and your muse is always there, and writing is a relationship with the muse, and your muse will guide you through your story and all your fear every time if you listen to her. It's the same thing. She'll guide you through your fear, and she'll guide you through your story. I believe it is exactly the same thing, Corinne. That awesome. inner, I love that. It's a relationship. When I began to understand writing as a relationship rather than something I had to do well, that's when it all turned around for me. It's a relationship. Yeah. Oh, it took I me a long time so to get that, I will tell you. But that's what I finally admitted that's what it was, and that's when I understood it. All right, so you said fear. It's always in there. It's, it's very helpful, isn't it? It's, it, it's not – it's, un- it's an unconditional relationship to love, meaning I don't need to wait until life has assembled itself for me to feel at peace. I don't need to have every duck in a row for me to feel loved or to feel at peace. It's always there if I can learn how to lay my attention on it. You got right? it. That, yep. Yeah. It's a huge shift, isn't it? It really is. It really is. And we can stop striving <laughs> to try. Yeah, to, you don't try you know, and find it, happiness. <laughs> yeah, it's in us. It's in us now. We're not going to find that happiness, that lasting happiness, any in any place outside of ourselves. Right. But, but you, this is, you know, there's an expression I've heard in, in Christian communities of, I, I found God. I found God. And I always thought, that's screwy. Because you have to find peace every thought you think. You know, every step you take, you have to keep finding it and finding it and finding it. You don't just find it once, right? It's not a point on a grid. (laughs) It's a journey. It's for sure a journey. But I I believe that peace is constant, but we're the ones that vacillate. You know, we're the ones that continually lapse back into fear, turn on the news. You you know, I mean, there's a million (laughs) opportunities to get hooked by fear every single day. So it's not that the peace 
goes away, it's that we've turned our attention away from it. So I, I do think it's yes. a constant thing, but we just vacillate. And to be clear, I'm sure, well, I'm sure you aren't, obviously you're not debilitated by anxiety anymore. You still have to contend with fear, right? I'm sure it still arises yeah, from I mean, time to time. So, yeah, I, I, I do not have that high level of debilitating anxiety at all. It's been years since I've had a panic attack. Fear now, I mean, I'm still, um, I still work everything that I preach in the book, but the fears are still falling away. Like, I can now get on an airplane and fly fearlessly without medicine, without my husband, just still totally, <laughs> totally safe. So the fears that I've hold, that I've held, excuse me, in my mind, continue to fall away. But, I mean, if I'm walking down the street and a speeding car is coming at me, of course I'm going to get out of the way. So I still have an amygdala in my brain, you know, that fight or flight center. But it's not the type of thing where I am at all having any type of um, debilitating experience by it. Yeah. Boy, and so, and part of your practice was meditation. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I am yeah, a big that's... fan of getting quiet with that monkey mind, that incessant, yeah. you know, bah, 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 bah yeah. mind that just goes. And any way that we can work with that, it doesn't mean we have to have a still mind, but it means that we continually just need to bring our attention back to the now moment. Every time we yeah. rest, every time we wander, coming back to the now. And that actually builds like a meditation muscle, so to speak, in our brains to help us focus and stay present. Yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more. It's such a helpful. It's a way of of learning. You, you have to learn, you know. So meditation is about letting a thought, you know, thoughts come up and you let them go, and thoughts come up. And if you want to like be conscious of your thinking, you have to learn that you can let a thought go. Because if you think you have to jump on the train of every thought that comes along and follow it wherever it goes, then you have no control over your emotional experience. It was so helpful for me in that regard. The practice mm. of letting a thought go. Even when I'm yeah, not that's awesome. You know? Yep, yep. Well, so you, and, and do you teach meditation? Is that part of the teaching you do in addition to the Course of Miracles stuff? Yeah, I do. I teach um, weekly mindfulness classes at a major U.S. financial financial institution, and I meditation is part of my book. I just came out with a meditation CD that corresponds with the book. So I'm a big advocate for, for slowing down <laughs> and getting into the now. Now, one, you know the old uh, cliche, you've got the little devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other, and they're both trying to, you know, do the thing, don't do the thing, do the thing. And so the ego, you talk about the ego some in this book too, uh, and of course Course in Miracles talks about it a lot. Um, the ego, you can, the, 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 in, the, the ego is kind of like a voice in your head, and the, and the inner therapist is a, a voice you listen to. And so one of the challenges, it seems to me, is learning to distinguish between the ego talking to you and the inner therapist talking to you. Is that something mm-hmm. that you try to teach as well? Yeah, and I, I address that in the book because in my experience, most of that egoic thinking, our thoughts, it is like a voice in our head, but the voice of, you know, our inner guidance system or our inner therapist is actually less of a voice and more of a feeling. Again, everybody's yeah. had that experience of intuition, you know, of your gut when yeah. you know something. That is what we're tuning into. And so I actually have a meditation in or an exercise in my book to help you drop into your body. You know, where in your body do you most easily attune to that knowing feeling? Yeah. And that's the place to bring your attention to when you're trying to distinguish between the voices because the ego voice is on one channel 
It's on that yeah. head channel usually. And the inner yeah. therapist voice, quote unquote, is really that feeling that we get in our bodies. So we have to learn to distinguish between the two of them. Now that's interesting. Uh, one of my favorite writer teachers is a guy named Andre Debuse. He wrote House of Sand and Fog and uh, Townie and Garden of Last Day. Anyway, he's a wonderful teacher, wonderful speak, uh, teacher and, and wonderful writer. And, he, and when I talked to him after he published his memoir, he was talking about his writing journey. And he said something I've never forgotten. I thought it was a really good point. He said, I learned to stop writing with my head and I started writing with my body. I thought, that's exactly right. You really, you, I mean, I know when we think of writing, we think of words and we think of our mind and our head. But really, where my, where my attention is when I'm writing, and I want to be guided by what you're describing as the inner therapist when I'm writing, whether it's personal essays or whatever, it's really in my body where my attention is, not in my mm-hmm. head. And, you know, and, and I think it's such a great, and it's such a necessary distinction because the ego is up there in the brain, kind of. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. I love that. I really it. resonate with that. I really resonate with that. Yeah, that was right. my experience with writing. I would hit a lot of resistance. You know, that fearful voice would in you? my mind. I'm writing about it, and it doesn't like it. <laughs> it's like <laughs> I felt like the ego voice in my mind, I'd sit down to write, and it would say, okay, we're split. I'm thirsty, or I'm hungry, or oh, right. let me go check right. Facebook, or let me go do this. I have to go to the bathroom. You know, right. there's a million excuses to not continue writing, and it was that settling into my body, you know, getting out of that thinking where where the flow would come from. So I resonate with that a lot. Yeah, yeah. Well, so here's a question. So, uh, you know, so I wrote this book, Fearless Writing, came out last year, and so I taught it for a while, and then I had this contract, and so I wrote it. Yay, it was a lot of fun. But I learned, I've been teaching it for years, and then I wrote it, and I learned a lot of stuff writing it. I kind of discovered stuff in the writing of it that I hadn't learned teaching it. So what did you learn about this subject when you wrote uh, from, uh, from Anxiety to Love? What did you learn writing it that you didn't really know until you wrote it? I love that question. And I will still look back at the book and be like, wow, I wrote that? <laughs> because I really, it helped me to solidify, you know, there's a, there's a, saying in the course um, that says something to the effect of as you teach, so you learn. So I yeah, yeah, yeah. I literally was writing what I needed to learn. I was literally, yeah. as I wrote, reinforcing those exact principles in my mind, in my being. And so the whole book was a solidifying of this process within myself and, and helped me and served me to go further into that joy and peace than I previously had before. Yeah, it's absolutely true. You I, I really learned what I needed to learn by writing about it as if I already knew it. Yeah. <laughs> as if, yeah. you know, I, or I said I should access the part of myself that already knew the fearlessness that I needed to kind of learn myself. It's just fascinating. Yeah. Isn't it amazing how we teach ourselves like that? It, it really is. It really is. And it brings us right into that space of, um, yeah, just integrating and, and really embodying, really embodying what it is that we're writing about. Yeah. You know, you have to, you have to, um, you can't apologize for what you know. You can't qualify it. You have to go, you have to be all in. You have to, it, has, it requires such, you have to so embrace what it is, you know, on, on an emotional level uh, to be able to state it with authority, you know, yeah. and even as you discover it. Um, 
it just requires such a letting go of well, you know, also, I say something this about the ego, which is interesting, and then I have to let you go soon. That's too bad. But it seems to me one of the things the ego does uh, is compare. At least mine does mm-hmm. all the time. What about that mm-hmm. one? This one's better. This one's worse. You're better. You're worse. And when you're writing, you can't do that, can you? Well, you better not, anyway. Compare yourself. I think it was one of the Roosevelt's that said comparison is the thief of joy. And how is the what of joy? Is- the thief of joy. Oh. Comparison is the thief yeah. of joy. And that is yeah. so true that if we fall into that comparison trap, that's immediately like another fear block that is blocking yeah. us from our muse, that's blocking us from our inspiration and from that flow. And so we have to literally get our nose back onto our own computer screen, looking at our Word doc or wherever it is that we're writing, and just focus yeah. on our mission and our message and what it is that we have to bring into the world because – Comparing, we, we can't, nobody, nobody else can say what we need to say in the way that we're going to say it. Our, our voice is uniquely ours. And so comparison is just something, when we notice it comes up, take a breath and let it go. <laughs> and come back to what you're yeah. doing. Uh, amen. Amen. It's amen. true. It is, it is the end. You just, it's the end of creativity. It's the end of joy. Uh, uh, it's great. Well, Corinne, I thought I would like this conversation, and I did. It was awesome. You're great. <laughs> you've, uh, you're doing great work, and you've got a long life ahead of you with a lot more work to do, and I I'm, can't wait to see where it takes you. But I can't let you go yet. Uh, I have to ask you one more question. Now, I want you to finish this sentence for me. If if writing, just writing, has taught me anything, it's taught me what? If writing has taught me anything, it has taught me love. It has taught me joy and and peace because as I teach, I learn. Uh, it's good stuff. Love. Right. That love is all love, there love, is, love. is all we know of love. That's a good one. Uh, so, all right, if people want to learn, if they've just heard you, it's like, gosh, she's so interesting. I want more Corinne. Aside from buying your book, which, again, is called From Anxiety to Love, A Radical New Approach for Letting Go of Fear and Finding Lasting Peace from New World Library. Uh, aside from that, what can they do? How can they find you? And where, and where can they, if they want to take classes from you and just generally meet you, what can, where can uh, they go? Um, yeah, come to my website, which is from anxietytolove.com. I have some events coming up. I'll be in New York City later this month at the Center for Remembering and Sharing. I'll be at the College of New Jersey doing a workshop in Barnes & Noble there. And online, I'll be doing a six-week class in From Anxiety to Love, and I have a lot of great stuff coming up. So come to my website, fromanxietytolove.com, and connect with me there. Excellent. All right, Corinne, you're awesome. Keep up the good work. You too. You're awesome also. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun. You're very welcome. Take it easy. Love, people. See, what did I tell you at the end of, one of these, every one of these shows? Go do something you love. It's true. You gotta love your stories unconditionally. Speaking of love, I'll be talking to Jane Porter next week. Oh, lovely Jane Porter, romance writer, women's fiction writer, now a publisher. Oh, she's so ambitious. Well, I'll have her on the show. Until then, go find something you love. Go be with someone you love. Just
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.